This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. And this is Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hi, Scott. Hey, we haven't done this for a while, but we have a pile of recent arrivals that we need to Oh, yum, yum. All right. Let's jump right in. Um... Let's start with uh, Full Cast Audio, mm-hmm. one of my favorite publishers. Mine too. Um, a new Kenneth Oppel. Oh, good. Yeah, it's called Star, Star Climber? Climber. Star Climber, yeah. I don't know. Does it have airships in it? Uh, Star Climber should have rocket ships in it. All right. Well, that'll work. That'll work. Um, it's read by David Kelly and the Full Cast family, of course. Um, Matt Cruz, hero of the wildly pop- popular Airborne and Skybreaker, is back. And this time he's aiming for the stars. But before Matt can join the first mission to space, he must survive rigorous training. Training made more dangerous by terrorists who are bent on sabotaging the mission before it can begin. So, um, Airborne and Skybreaker are now Star Climber. Is this, does this character travel through time? Uh, well, um, it's sort of an alternate history, alternate fantasy uh-huh. uh, series. The... Um, I don't think he ta- travels through time, but it, it was sort of set in what I would guess is like the early 20th century, mm-hmm. uh, North America or planet, I guess, really. They travel all around the world. But Matt Cruz is from Vancouver, uh, uh, called um, called in the book, it's called uh, Lionsgate City. Uh-huh. Lionsgate is the name of the, the, the bridge in Vancouver oh. that crosses the North Oh, Kenneth Oppel is, uh, lives in Toronto. I didn't know that till just when you said that, and I looked at his bio. Yeah, Great. Um, we've got a copy of the uh, of Star Climber at school, and it has a big rocket ship on the cover. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure it's a rocket ship, sort of a steampunk looking rocket ship. And uh, right. uh, the kids who've read it told me it was good, so I, I've been looking forward to to this for a while. Great. All right. Sounds. I good. assume they got the same kid uh, to play Matt Cruz in all, all in the third one. Um, David Baker. No, I'm sorry, David Kelly. David yeah, Kelly and the full cast family. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Cool. All right, now this one looks like it's aimed at um, a younger uh, group. And uh, another interesting thing that I noticed about this one, it's called Space Station Rat by Michael J. Daly. And um, it looks like full cast audio has got a new imprint called One Voice, which is um, solo reading. Oh, so this is a uh, three. three <laughs> it's not, it's it's a full cast and a cast of one. Yeah, you bet. It's read by Daniel Bostic, and um, it's three CDs long. Space Station Rat by Michael J. Daly. Jeff thought life on a space station would be a great adventure. Boy, was he wrong. His parents have no time for him. The captain has no use for him, and his weird robot caretaker has no tolerance for him. Jeff is not the only one on the station feeling lost and lonely. Also on board is a modified rat who accidentally stowed away while trying to escape the lab where she was created. When Rat begins emailing Jeff in an attempt to get food, she is a very bright rat, the two form an unlikely friendship. The thing is, Jeff has no idea his new pen pal is a rat. I love the cover on this one. A yeah, rat, cute. A rat sitting at the keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> Type it away. Three CDs. This is... um. Cool. Uh, yeah. If 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 you if you really need to have your kids listen to it, mm-hmm. great. But I'd rather steal it from them. 
<laughs> Sounds good. So that's those. That's what we got from uh, full cast audio. All right. Let's see what else we got here. I, got I, should, I should tell you I've got a review of um, Red Planet coming out. Oh, uh, fantastic. Very, yeah. Yes. Really, really great no- novel Red and really Planet. good review. Yeah, that's uh, um, Heinlein. Yeah, excellent Heinlein. Okay. Right. I, I was, uh, was going to tell you, um, uh, in the review I think I mentioned it, it's, it reminded me a lot of um, Cory Doctorow's book, uh, Little Brother. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, you wouldn't think that that would make sense because Little Brother's not really based on big it's based on uh, 1984 right uh-huh. uh, the title anyways right but it's got sort of the uh you know fight for your own rights don't let the government push you around mm-hmm. uh kind of vibe to it so i see i i got that the second time or third time i've yeah. read through this novel. it's okay. been so long since i've read a heinlein i think uh i'm starting to itch starting to get the heinlein itch I better better uh, scratch it better grab one you bet all right, this is neat. Uh, you know, I don't know how to pronounce this name. S e a n a n. I think S e a n. I think it's Shannon. Yeah, uh, McGuire. Um, the book is called A Local Habitation. It's an October October Day novel. Um, D a y e, and it's read by Mary Robinette Cole. Oh, who uh, whose career I launched. <laughs> and whose website she was she she occasionally posts to our website. Too. Yeah, yeah, she did a, a while back, you bet. She's anyway, like she's uh awesome. she's a Campbell Award winning writer herself and um this soon she's the narrator. So um yeah, she's very eclectic. So what's um, the description me, on this? Let me read that. Uh, October Toby Day is a changeling, the daughter of Amandine of the Fae and a mortal man. Like her mother, she is gifted in blood magic, able to read what has happened to a person through a mere taste of blood. Half-human, half-fae, outsiders from birth, most changelings are second-class children of fairy, spending their lives fighting for the respect of their immortal relations. Toby is the only changeling who has earned knighthood, and she re-earns that position every day, undertaking assignments for her liege, Sylvester, the Duke of the Shadowed Hills. Now Sylvester has asked her to go to the county of Tamed Lightning, otherwise known as Fremont, California, to make sure that all is well with his niece, Countess January O'Leary, whom she has not been able to contact. It seems like a simple enough assignment, but when dealing with the realm of fairy, nothing is ever as simple as it seems. Very cool cover. I I really like the cover on this. Uh, Buffy-like cover. Um, October Day on the front there. I'm assuming that's her with a knife and some kind of hooded figure behind her. What's it called? It's called a it's local called habitation. A, a local habitation. Yeah, I can. I'm looking at the cover on Audible, and it's it's got a a girl dressed in black, and then there's some sort of ghost looking yeah, thing. Yeah, with the red eyes. Mm-hmm. Very nice cover. So, yeah, looking forward to this one. It says it will appeal to fans of Jim Butcher or Kim Harrison, is a publisher's weekly review. Nice. So the same kind of subgenre there. Brilliance Audio, by the way. Brilliance mm-hmm. Audio. Here's another one from Brilliance. Where Angels Fear to Tread, a Remy Chandler novel um, by Thomas E. Snigoski. Hopefully I got that right. Uh, performed by Luke Daniels. Um, six-year-old Zoe York has been taken and her mother comes to Remy for help. 
He thinks the cops would be a better choice until the a desperate woman shows Remy why she chose him out of all the private detectives in Massachusetts. There are drawings, crude childlike drawings that show Zoe's visions of the future. Everything leading up to her abduction and some beyond, such as the picture of a man with wings who would come and save her, a man who is an angel. This is more than a mere k- kidnapping. So, yep, so it seems like the same uh, subgenre of, of books there. The cover is also very cool again. A couple of guys on the front with swords reminds me of a uh, Roger Zelazny novel. The, the painting looks like it That's could always from a good Zelazny. thing. Yeah. Yep. What else you got? Okay, we've got um, two from a guy named David Wellington. Um, the first one is called Frostbite, a werewolf tale. It's read by Ty Simmons, and this comes to us from Blackstone. Um, a picture of a werewolf there. Uh, there's one sound a woman doesn't want to hear when she's lost and alone in the Arctic wilderness. A howl. When a strange wolf's teeth slash Cheyenne's ankle to the bone, her old life ends and she becomes the very monster that has haunted her nightmares for years. Worse, the only one who can understand what Che has become is the man, or wolf, who's doomed her to this fate. He also wants to chop her head off with an axe, which is always not good. Yes, (laughs) yet as the line between human and beast blurs, so too does the distinction between hunter and hunted. For Che is more than just the victim she appears to be. But once she's within killing range, she may find that even for a werewolf, it's not always easy to go for the jugular. So this is... uh, David Wellington and Ty Simmons is the reader. Now it comes in with another one called Thirteen Bullets: A Vampire Tale. So I, I don't know that they're connected. Um, Nasty-looking vampire dude on the front of that one, also from Blackstone, uh, read by Bernadette Dunn. All of the official reports say they are dead, extinct since the late 80s, when a fed named Arkali nailed the last vampire in a fight that nearly killed him. But Arkali knows what most people don't. There's one left. In an abandoned asylum, she's rotting, plotting, and biding her time in a way only the undead can. (laughs) (laughs) When state trooper Laura Caxton calls the FBI looking for help in the middle of the night, it's Arkali who gets the assignment. Caxton is out of her league on this case and is more than a little afraid, but the Fed made it plain that there's only one way out. The worst thing is the feeling that vampires want more than just her blood. They want her for a reason, one she can't guess, a reason her sphinx-like partner knows but won't say. I'm just looking at uh, David Wellington's website, Uh and um, he's he's actually serialized um, the Frostbite as a .txt file, I guess, or... Uh, just in the in the browser, and um, uh, he's he's got some other books, but it looks like this is set in in Arctic Canada. Both of them, or had. just the frostbite? Ah, uh, just frostbite. Yeah, um, that reminds me of. Uh, did you see the vampire movie? Oh, why can't I remember the name of it? The vampire movie that takes place. Um, I, I'm assuming it was Alaska. I don't know for sure. Did uh, you see that one? There's one called uh, Let the Right One In. No, but no. that's out of Finland. Yeah, it's not that one. There's a zombie one called uh, uh, Dead Snow. <laughs> no, which is that's not, not it Nazis, either. Nazis, it's, it's, it's fairly zombie. recent, a few years old. Um, gosh, I can't even remember the the actor who was uh, James Brolin or something like that. Okay. Um, well, we'll look it up. 
Anyway, they were fighting vampires in an Alaskan town, um, and it was very, very, very cold. Um, the title had something to do with cold. Wellington, uh, David Wellington has, it looks like he's a, um, you know, making use of the internet to market himself, and he's got um, uh, three novels in a trilogy that are um, called Monster Island, Monster Nation, and then Monster Planet. And all oh. three of them have been serialized. Oh, wow, I didn't make that connection. Yeah, I've seen those books. Yeah. And it's uh, involving a zombie apoc- apocalypse, uh-huh. which is the best kind of apocalypse. <laughs> 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 you can have an apocalypse. Like the top ten apocalypses, yep. that's, that's number one. Um, speaking of which, um, I've been watching this show. Uh, I think I sent you the... Um, the link to it on Amazon. Uh-huh. Did you see see what I'm talking about? It's called Survivors. Uh-huh. An S, not, you know, although that shows for zombies. Survivor is for zombies. Survivors is a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, story set in England. Okay. Uh, it's based on a Terry Nation, the guy who invented the Daleks, mm-hmm. um, a novel by him of the same name. And it was also a 1970s television show, which I, I liked, but was very slow-paced. This is a reboot of that, um, as you know, they've done a million times with Doctor Who and Star Trek and mm-hmm. all the things, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Um, but this is actually, it, it follows the exact same plot, basically. Uh, but it, it's just much, much slicker and um, uh, very contemporary. I'm quite enjoying it. It's um, mm-hmm. it's a... Uh, you know, everybody dies because, uh, or almost everybody dies because of a flu-like virus, and then people have to reconstruct society based on you know just one in one in ninety-nine people surviving or so. Yeah, it's, yeah, that sounds it, interesting. Yeah, what I said about the original series when I was watching it was this show is really good. It just needs zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas this one is you don't need zombies because it's uh, the the modern version of Survivors. You don't need zombies because other people are the threat. Other yeah. people are other the threat. people. Yeah. Um, that movie that I was talking about was called Thirty Days of Night. Okay. Yeah. I may have seen that. I it I sounds it. it was a good movie. Yeah, very nasty vampires. None of this uh, uh, relationship stuff. (laughs) (laughs) These guys are real. And speaking of vampires, i got another one here. But they're so dreamy! Yeah. (laughs) Uh, How about a John Steakley novel? Mm -hmm. Vampires, read by Tom Weiner. Um, Yeah, now this was made into a film, right? Mm, Uh, The one with James Woods? It's it's not called um, John Steakley's Vampires, it's called... John Carpenter's. Yeah. Vampires. All right. Yep. James Woods played a. Uh, uh, he was a mercenary by the for Vatican, the Vatican, and he would yeah. kill vampires. Yep. Suppose there really were vampires, dark, stalking, destroying. They have to be killed, wouldn't they? Of course they would. But what kind of fools would try to make a living at it? In the best-selling author John Steakley's vampire classic, one tightly knit band of brothers devotes itself to hunting down the monsters that infest the modern world. For a price. An exciting blend of the horror and western genres, Vampires is a 21st century Ghostbusters with an edge. And uh, the S in Vampires, by the way, is a dollar sign. Yeah. Yep. It's, it, it is kind of like Ghostbusters in the sense that they're doing it for the money, which yeah. is a, it's a sort of a fun way of approaching it. But, um, you know, it's like the they used to have um, a bounty on the head of a wolf. 
That's where you get the idea of a wolf's head, uh-huh. right? He's a wolf's head in the sense that, you know, he's worth money if you catch him. There's a bounty on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why there's not very many wolves left in Europe. <laughs> they're, all, they're all in the zoos because they've been imported from North America, basically. Uh-huh. Um, uh, if, if, if that's why there's no vampires, because the Catholic Church has a bounty on them, that would explain a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> that would explain it everything. It used to be lots, and now there's... There's just so few because... That's right. No more dreamy. All right. Okay, so if we... uh, I'm pretty sure this one is not a vampire book, but I'm not positive. Um, This is a classic, though, I think. Uh, Philip Jose Farmer, Mm -hmm. Dark is the Sun, read by Rebecca Rogers. Um, I remember... You know, I don't think I've ever read it. It's copyright 1979 by Philip Jose Farmer. Um, 15 billion years from now, Earth is a dying planet, its skies darkened by the ashes of burned-out galaxies, its molten core long cooled. The sunless planet is nearing the day of final gravitational collapse in the surrounding galaxy. Mutations and evolution have led to a great disparity of life forms, while civilization has resorted to the primitive. Young Dave, D-E-Y-V, knew nothing of the world, his world's history or its fate. He lived only to track down the wretched Yachty, Yattle, who had stolen his precious soul egg. Joined by <laughs> other victims of the same thief, the feisty Vanna, that's not Vanna White, I assume, and the plant man Sloosh, the group sets off across a nightmare landscape of monster-haunted jungle and wetland. Their search leads them ultimately to the jeweled wasteland of the Shemabob, an ageless being from another star who knows Earth's end is near and holds the only key to escape. Philip it looks awesome. Looks so awesome. It's, uh, Check out the cover I just sent you. Um, is that what? Is that match what you've got? Um, hold on. I am. It's got a picture of um, uh, a guy on a raft with a girl, a, a mountain lion, and what looks like a giant centaur with with yeah. scales. That's the cover I remember seeing. Yeah, I think I've owned that book at one time, but I don't think I ever read it. It's a great-looking cover. It is, yeah. What, what's the cover of the one you're holding? It's uh, uh, four words, Dark is the Sun. Aww! <laughs> yeah, there's kind of a... Uh, um, it, it looks like a centaur. Um, through the words, you can see the centaur, kind of. Yeah. You know, I I'm, I'm just started listening to... Uh, to a new novel by Charlie Strauss called um, what's it called? It's got a great cover. Uh, in in the paper book version, it has a really terrific cover, and on the um, the audiobook version, it's not so good. Um, Saturn's Children. Mm-hmm. Um, so Saturn's Children has um, uh, it's by Recorded Books, uh, their sci-fi imprint, and. Uh, it's a, a very fun novel so far, but the the cover they've done is yeah, it's mostly just the title, right? Mm, and right. Very very nice graphics and everything, but you compare it to the cover of the the paper book, which is a picture of the main character uh, lying on her side, right? Mm-hmm. And she's she she goes from the from the front of the dust jacket all the way to the back. So when you unfold the paper book, you've got like this giant picture, which is one of my favorite things you can have, is, you know, a cover that goes all the way front and back. Yeah. Um, and then the audiobook is like, meh. It's like you almost want to say, oh, I'll read the paper book, because the audiobook's so ugly. 
Uh-huh. Uh, but the good news is now you can rip it to rip it to uh, MP3, and then you can drag and drop your own cover. <laughs> so that's what I did. I said, I said that cover is too ugly. Yeah, <laughs> I have that on my audiobook. Now I've got a beautiful cover. Um, and it's like, oh, that looks like a good book. That's and then I can nice show it to people cover. and say, look what I'm listening to. Doesn't this look awesome? <laughs> I'll be really jealous. Very cool, very cool. Because that's my main thing is to make people jealous. <laughs> uh, speaking of Farmer, there's a new uh, LibriVox audiobook I posted about called The Rastanak the Devil. Uh-huh. Did you see that post? No, I, I don't recall it. Oh, uh, it's a new one, relatively new. Okay. Um... And it's really hard to understand. I, I liked it, but I, I just don't know what's going on. It's set on a world. Uh, it's read by Greg Marguerite, which means it's good. Meeting uh-huh. uh, and um, set on a world that was colonized by uh, French colonists from France, um, and yet they have all adopted sort of a kind of how do I say this? Uh, they've sort of blended into the native culture of their planet mm-hmm. uh, of, the, of the planet that's there and they're sort of amphibians of some kind um, and uh, they to, to, to make peace, there's a lot of peace on this planet, to make peace uh, what they did is uh, humans would be abducted at shortly after birth and then uh, taken to live with the aliens who actually I guess are the residents and then Alien babies would be swapped in uh, for the human family. And then everybody's given a skin, a sort of a sentient skin that mm-hmm. protects your body and also uh, gives you moral guidance. Huh. It's like, what the heck is going on in this novel, right? But then, that's not the end of it. Then it's got a whole, what I think is uh, some sort of uh, subtext about, about uh, 17th century France. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the politics of... Uh, the era of the three musketeers and i'm like this is really a baffling story it is really interesting but i i posted in the 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 post for it i said you know i need somebody to explain this story to me <laughs> because i liked it a lot but i don't know what's going on um and i know jose farmer is like uh he's like the guy who he does reference everything so there, there's got to be something going on in this Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what I've done online looking around, I have not found any explanation. So um, this is my call. Please help me. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> explain Rastanak to me. Gotcha. I don't like. I don't like feeling like that. You know, like I'm getting uh, uh, something's going past me. Uh huh. Makes me feel dumb. <laughs> like that. Gotcha. But uh, it sounds like I can. I can wrap my ri- mind around this new one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, is that sent up to me? Dark, dark is the sun. Uh, it will be. Okay. It hasn't been yet. Oh no! But I just I, read I'm, it. <laughs> no, I'm saying, I'm saying, can I have it? Yes, of course. Thank you so much. You're very, <laughs> you're very welcome. Thank. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the River World series. Are you? Um, I've only read the first one. Um, so I guess the answer would be uh, probably not. But I, I did find the first one interesting, but I just never followed up. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I just didn't, I didn't feel a super need to go on with it. And what I heard about the later books in the series was that maybe that was best. Mm-hmm. Kind of <laughs> like Dune. That's the yeah. way I feel 
but Dune. Ah, but I'm a I'm a Dune fan. But I'm, I need to start Children of Dune. But I liked Dune Messiah, and you weren't a fan of that one. I, I like. I, I like. I liked a lot about it, but I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I liked a lot of the things that are going on, and I think it's worth reading. I just don't think it's a good novel. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, okay. Uh, back to the vampires. I found another mm-hmm. one in the stack here. This is from Brilliance. It's called Love Bites. Um, it's by Lindsay Stand. Uh, performed by Angela Daw, uh, Etienne Arjenu's 300 Years of Bachelorhood were at an end. <laughs> Either that or he'd be forever alone. He could only turn one human in his lifetime, and most of his kind created a life mate. If he turned this stranger, but what choice did he have? He had to help Rachel Garrett. The beautiful coroner had saved his life. To save hers, he would make her immortal. So, paranormal romance. Paranormal romance. Yep. And um, I've got. It's got uh, a picture of a, a girl getting bitten very happily in the neck. <laughs> you <laughs> on the cover, I've got. Well, what's yours got? Uh, it's the same thing. Same cover. Yep. Okay. Uh, there's a tattoo. She's got a tattoo on her yeah. her breast, her right breast. <laughs> yeah. Of a little. It looks like a bat. So I'm guessing that James Woods does not show up in this one. Or if he does, uh, it's only in your dreams at the end, hoping that right. the couple will be, will be. I don't know. <laughs> I shouldn't keep talking. I don't. I don't know. What are we going to do about this paranormal romance? I don't know. We have so many of them, and we've we've talked on this podcast about needing a reviewer. So consider this another call. Yes. Hey, anybody likes paranormal romance? We are your guys. Paranormal Especially romance by Lindsay Sands. Yeah, paranormal romance and audiobooks. This could be like awesome. I I don't know. Yep. I, yeah, I it just sure could. It sure could. Yep. Yeah, and I've got two more Laurel K. Hamiltons in my hand as well. Um, uh, another two from Penguin Audio. Wow. Um, one's called Blue Moon, and the other one is called Obsidian Butterfly. They're both Anita Blake vampire hunter novels. She and, writes fantastic. Uh, the New York Review of Science Fiction calls these an R-rated Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The action never stops. So that should kind of uh, put that in a category, I guess. Um, I haven't read any of these, but my wife has read one or two. Um, Did she do a review for us? Um, I don't think she ever has written one up. Okay. Um, but I don't think that they're her thing either. I'm looking at the Amazon review of uh, Lindsay Sands' Love Love Bites, uh-huh. and there are 58 reviews, um, almost all of them positive, 37 five-star reviews. So, good. so it could be, could that, be quite good, be, especially if it's really the first good. in a series. Oh, no, it says a prequel of sorts. A prequel? A prequel to Single White Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I see that ad on Craigslist all the time, and yeah. I've just never answered it myself. Right. And uh, they're available abridged as well, for those of you who are fans of that. Um, they're about half the size, it looks like. Is it the less. same narrator, or are they... What you, um, are they? Let's see. Both of them are narrated by... Kimberly Alexis. Those are the unabridged ones. And yeah, she did the abridgments, too. So Kimberly, Kim- Kimberly Okay, I'm Alexis. showing as Angela Daw on, on Audible for the really? Lindsay... They, they all four say read by Kimberly Alexis. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. All hmm. right. Let's see. Also in from Penguin is uh, 
Clive Cussler novel, Dirk Pitt. Um, Which one? Was are, that the these are that one with the Nazi on the Nazi swastika on the cover? No, no. This one is called The Silent Sea. It's got a sunken ship on the cover. A novel of the Oregon Files. Um, Clive Cussler with Jack DeBrule, and this is read by Scott Brick. Um, Clive Cussler's Tales of the Oregon and its crew have made fans of hundreds of thousands of readers, but the Oregon 7th Adventure is the most remarkable one yet. On December 7, 1941, five brothers exploring a shaft on a small island off the coast of Washington State make an exciting discovery, only to be interrupted by news of Pearl Harbor. In the present, Juan Cabrillo, chasing the, his remnants of a crashed satellite in the Argentine jungle, makes a shocking discovery of his own. His search to untangle the mystery leads him first to that small island and its secret, and then much farther back to an ancient Chinese expedition and a curse that seems to have survived for over 500 years. If Cabrillo's team is successful in its quest, the reward could be incalculable. If not, the only reward is death. I don't know. Have you ever read a Cussler book? I don't know. I've, I've, I've read uh, three of them, I think, but they were they were a while back. One of them was called Treasure, and in fact, one of the first audiobooks I listened to when I back when I worked uh, in Tucson, I got it from the library. And uh, that's number nine in the Dirk Pitt series, by yeah, the way. Treasure. It was great. I loved them. It's uh, it's James Bond, um, but the guy's got. Uh, you know, ocean savvy. It's like Jacques Cousteau as James Bond. So I, I, I like that. That's a that's a <laughs> a good mix. Yeah. Jacques Cousteau as James Bond. Right, right. Love it. So they're fun. They're fun. All right. Hey, I have a pile of Stephen King. Um, two of them have never been audio. Well, yeah, I, I think the other ones have been before, so they're reissues. But these two have never been audiobooks that I know of. Um, Cujo, read by Lorna Raver, um, That's a scary one. from um, Penguin Audio, and it probably needs no introduction. No. Do we all know what Cujo's about? Uh. <laughs> Big, friendly dog chases a rabbit into a hidden underground cave and stirs a sleeping evil crueler than death itself. Oh, I thought it was just rabies. <laughs> nope, nope. Oh, good. It's just paranormal death. It's okay. <laughs> uh, rabies is the scary part. Right, right. Um, so that's Cujo. And then the other one, right around the same period in his career, is Firestarter, read by Dennis Boutsikaris. He's good. He is I just very finished, good. Uh, just finished a, um, uh, a nonfiction book called The Monster of Florence with him as the narrator. Great. I'm going to have a review up of that shortly. And yeah. Does a and good uh, job. my son Chris has become a Stephen King fan. He's uh, almost 16, and he's going to write us a review of this one. He's already read it. Nice. So by the time this podcast posts, it should already be up. Firestarter? Firestarter. Excellent. Yep. And so I have a pile of um, the Bachman books. Three of them, nice. anyway. Three of them. Uh, the Running Man is the first one. Uh, so it's Stephen King writing as Richard Bachman. Uh, read by Kevin Kennerly. Um, so The Running Man, this was a film, wasn't it? Ben Richards yep. is out of work and out of luck. His 18-month-year-old daughter is sick, and neither Ben nor his wife can afford to take her to a doctor. For a man from the poor side of town, 
With no cash and no hope, there's only one thing to do. Become a contestant on one of the network's games. Shows on which you can win more money than you ever dreamed of or die trying. It's in the year 2025. I, You know, I think this 1985 novel or 1985 story, 1982 uh-huh. story, whatever it is, yeah. um, is more prescient than any other Stephen King uh-huh. <laughs> uh, novel ever because it, that, he's describing basically reality television, he right? He sure is, yeah. It's just a bunch of people who are <laughs> eating dirt or whatever it is uh-huh. uh, for fun, for money. You bet. Or I, I guess it was done in Robocop, too. Uh, mm-hmm. There was some something like that, uh, some game show that's just ridi- ridiculously ridiculous, you know. Right. But uh, I, I think it was a pretty terrific movie. Have you read the story? Um, if I did, it was a very long time ago. Um, I don't own it anymore if I did before. Um, but I, I liked it. I, uh, Thinner was one that I've read. I, 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 I don't know. I've read so much Stephen King. I, I just don't recall if I've read that one or not. I had a, one book. It was a hardcover that had the four Bachman books in it. Mm-hmm. But I no longer own it. Got it. Yeah. Um, now, the next one is called The Long Walk, um, also a Bachman book. And it's read by Kirby Hayborn, who read Little Brother. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really excellent. Every year on the first day of May, 100 teenage boys meet for an event known throughout the county as the Long Walk. Among this year's chosen crop is 16-year-old Ray Garrity. He knows the rules. Warnings are issued if you fall under speed, stumble, sit down. After three warnings, you get your ticket. And what happens then serves as a chilling reminder that there can only be one winner in the walk, the one who survives. This is... Um uh, when I saw that, I think I, I think I saw you post about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, oh, cool! It's a reissue of that book mm-hmm. that I read as an audiobook a long time ago uh, yeah. called "The Long Walk," um, but it's a nonfiction story called um, "The Long Walk." Mm-hmm. It's about a Polish army officer who is uh, taken by the Soviets to Siberia mm-hmm. um, and put in a labor camp there, and um, he escapes. And walks from Siberia to um, India. Oh wow! <laughs> amazing, uh, six thousand five hundred kilometers. Um, <laughs> a walk, and it's an amazing story. Uh, amazing audiobook too. But this has nothing to do with that. This is walking across the United States, right? Yeah, it doesn't say that. It just says there's a long walk. <laughs> Yeah, every um, year on the first day of May, 100 teenage boys meet for an event known throughout the county as the Long Walk. Okay, it says, um, uh, It was collected in 1985 in the hardcover omnibus The Bachman Books. That Set in the near future, the plot revolves around the contestants of a horrific walking contest hmm. held annually by a somewhat despotic and totalitarian version of the United States of America. Um, you know what it sounds like to me? Hmm. It sounds like The Hunger Games. It kind of does. Yeah. Um, which I'm listening to, by the way. Oh, great. Yeah. Are you enjoying I, it? I am. I am. Yeah, my, I bought my book. niece the hardcover, because uh-huh. uh, she, doesn't, she doesn't get into audiobooks, even though I got her an iPod for Christmas. Uh-huh. She's uh-huh. not into audiobooks yet. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll convince her. Well, that's but, one of the, yeah, it's a really well done audio. Yeah, um, and we were, in the, we were in the bookstore, and I said, you can buy any books you want. You, you go out there, you find the books you want, you're interested in, we can get them. And then while we were browsing the aisles, um, 
I said, oh, I, I've seen that. And I, uh, there was one girl there who was like sitting on the floor and taking every book off the, off the shelf and looking at it, right, reading the backs. And she was there the whole time we were there. And so I said, I, I pulled out The Hunger Games and I said, have you read this? And she says, oh, yes, it's wonderful. Uh, I said, oh, did you hear that, Callie? Did you hear that? <laughs> I'm like trying to make her buy this book. And she, she is really enjoying it so far. So oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Your uh, Danielson kid, age 14, did a review for us. He did, yeah. That one in Catching Fire is a sequel. And then Mockingjay is book three, uh, and I think it's a trilogy. So I don't know. I don't expect it to continue forever. Um, but that'll be out in the summer, I believe. August, it, it, I think. It does. The more I look at it, the more I think that this is uh, very similar. Um, in at least that it's you know young people uh, having to do horrific things for <laughs> for the government. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if if uh, your kids aren't interested in it. I am. All right. All right. Okay, and then there's one more Bachman book. Um, you know what? I should mention um, The Maze Runner by James Dashner. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's on Audible now. I'm just going to take a look. And I read it in print um, with this youth group that I've been doing. Um, but The Maze Runner is the same. It's the same... I don't know if you'd call it a subgenre or a subset of the uh, middle grade or young adult books, but the thing is, you know, uh, Hunger Games is kind of, you know, rough. It's difficult. They've uh, there's a lot of things that happen in there that you know you're thinking, you know, is this you know a happy-go-lucky YA book, you know, but YA books are not like that anymore. I don't think YA books have ever been happy-go-lucky. Ah, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's happy-go-lucky as long as it's not happening to you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh boy, this kid's really in a lot of trouble. Right, right. Good thing I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, The Maze Runner is out there. Um, it's on Audible now. It's by Listening Library, which is Random House. Nice. Um, read by Mark Deakins. And it is really, really excellent. Now, it starts out with a kid who wakes up in the middle of this glade which is uh, a big square patch of um, area that's, you know, got grass, and there's like a garden. And all these kids, all boys, they all live in this area. So it's kind of, you could uh, think it's like Lord of the Flies almost, where these kids Mm -hmm. are kind of on their own. They're, you know, they're all about 15, 16 years old. But the the glade is surrounded by these tall walls. And these walls have these doors that open, um, for so much time every day, you know, like uh, eight or ten hours or something like that. Sounds every day. like Cube. Yeah, a little bit like Cube. And then these kids run out there. Um, they have runners. You know, everybody, they've formed a little society, which is a lot nicer than Lord of the Flies. But um, they they all work together, and they um, send some runners out every day to try and find a way through this maze. So all the doors, the four doors, all lead to a maze. And, um, you know, there's a lot of dangerous things in the maze, and they can never find their way out. So it's about this kid who, uh, you know, becomes one of the runners. And, um, you know, it's a big there's mystery a trailer on, on how, you know, who's running the show. And, you know, looks obviously good. somebody put him there. And uh, it's, it's a very good book. Yeah, it looks really good. But So you're doing that with your, your library group? Yeah, I've, I've read it already. Um, but, yeah, we're... 
we're hoping to um, interview him on a podcast oh, cool. this summer. Right now, nice. he's he's very busy. He's got another book that's out, and then the the Maze Runner, uh, the Scorch Trials. He's preparing that book too. So I'm hoping, you know, if his schedule works out, we'll um, do an interview with him uh, with the summer group. Nice. So that starts in June. We're just setting up the schedule for that now. Great. Yeah, it's fun. I have a good time doing that. Um, it's really great when the kids want to be there. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, you know, when when, they, when you have kids that don't really want to be there, it's it's kind of a whole different story. How did your dragons uh, thing work out? It went really well. The, the last class, in fact, that was the last class of the school year. Um, they continue on through May, but you know, with uh, spring break and everything, there's, there would only be another one. Um, so that ended what, so up what being did you talk one. about? Talked about dragons, uh, dragon books. Introduced them to several books about dragons, and they gave their own recommendations. And we talked about how dragons were used. You know, sometimes they're friends, and sometimes they're enemies. Uh, talked about some films. There's a new movie out called How to Train Your Dragon. Mm-hmm. I think that that's out. Talking about another yeah, kids movie. I heard about that it. earlier. Yep. Yeah. Um, supposed to be very good. Yeah, I heard a review of that. Yep. So, um, but anyway, yeah, it was interesting. Talked about Anne McCaffrey. You know, a lot of them really loved the uh, Christopher Paolini uh, books, Aragon. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, well, uh, you know, a lot of people really like this book, but a lot of people don't. And you know, I think the general reason why a lot of people don't is because it's so derivative from other mm. things. And I said, well, here's, uh, you know, Anne McCaffrey. And I described Anne McCaffrey's books. And they said, oh, well, that's kind of what that book is. <laughs> in, in a way, it is. But Anne McCaffrey's science fiction. So, uh, yeah, technically. Yep. Yeah, technically, because the uh, the way that the dragons came about, they were actually genetically engineered, you know, to serve a purpose. So mm-hmm. they kind of took legend and made it real. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, actually quite a few now that uh, you know. What what did you said? Uh, you said um, Jesse. Can you think of anything dragons? And the only no. thing that came to mind was around the world in eighty days. Right, right. Which it's not exactly dragons. Right, but um, th- of course there are dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on the island of Komodo, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and they are right. quite dangerous. They don't mm-hmm. breathe fire, but they've got some mean, mean saliva. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think. Um, there's some. I just thought of the movie Dragon Slayer. Do you remember that? Yeah, from in fact, I showed, him, I showed him a clip of that. That was a pretty scary movie. Yeah, yeah. Dragon and, Slayer uh, and Dragon Heart. I but think Dragon on the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, they were talking about how smog is going to be portrayed in the, the Hobbit movie. Oh, yeah. And I, I always forget that, yeah, there is a dragon in, in, mm-hmm. in fact, the Lord of the Rings the universe. Yeah, we talked about the Hobbit, too. He's a pretty, pretty cool dragon. Yeah. Sort of, uh, I, I guess he's treasure. the archetypical dragon, right? Uh, Smog? Yeah, he's like the archetype of, yeah. of basically all modern dragons. Right. I mean, all, all of the Dragonlance stuff from um, from uh, Dungeons and Dragons, that's all, all uh, derivative of Smog. Right, right. Yeah, hoarding treasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about a book by Jessica Day George called Dragon Slippers which is uh, a book that my daughter loves, and, um, you know, I read it with her. And it's about a dragon who hoards shoes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, she ends up, the, the main character ends up 
the dragon owes her a favor. So the dragon says, well, pick any pair of shoes you want. Well, she ends up picking, by accident, the shoes that let her can kind of be connected to this dragon. Now, is are these shoes that dragon wears? Because nope, that nope. Would almost makes sense. They're all uh, people's shoes. People's shoes? Yeah, he just has a pile of them. He. So uh, you're saying this dragon is in drag? <laughs> no, the dragon does not wear the shoes. All right. <laughs> Jessica Day George, good book. I don't know if it's on audio or not. We'll find out. Yep. Okay, one more Bachman book. Back to mm-hmm. that. Road Work, read by G. Valmont Thomas. Bart Dawes is standing in the way of progress. A new highway extension is being built right over the laundry plant where he works and right over his home. The house he has lived in for 20 years, where he has made love to his wife, played with his son, but before the city paves over that part of Dawes' life, he's got one more party to throw, and it'll be a blast. When the police come to escort him off the property, he shoots them with, his, with the weapons he ordered from a gun shop, a forty four <laughs> Magnum revolver and a four sixty Weatherby Magnum. Um, <laughs> I'm reading the Wikipedia entry. Oh, are you? You know, the, the fans of, of uh, Stephen King are legion, and... They have done a ton of details on this novel. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I think this looks good. The cover makes it look terrific. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice cover. Simon or uh, Penguin did a good job with those. It, it's basically the, the premise of um, the beginning of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Uh-huh. It's like some guy, you know, the city wants to over, right. uh, you know, pave over his house. Bypass through his home. Yep. Right. And yet, uh, I think... To build bypasses. That's right. Yes. That's what bypasses are for, to be built. <laughs> um, but in this case, he's, um, he's, he's treating it more like uh, uh, the Omega Man <laughs> rather than some intergalactic uh, hitchhiking trip. Right, right. So that sounds pretty good. Yep, it does. Uh, I, think, I think I'm think i going to be a fan of Richard Bachman more than Stephen King because... Um, I like Stephen King, but it's 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 um, I'm not that interested in being scared. I think uh-huh. I like being scared, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not like it it makes me super excited. So right. uh, I think uh, his Richard Bachman stuff tends to be more attention, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I've told you before um, how he got he named that that uh, pseudonym, right? I told you. Yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Richard is from Richard Stark, which is a pseudonym for Donald Westlake. Everything comes back to Westlake ultimately. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. All right. Okay. Um, Ben Bova. Uh Uh-huh. This is uh, from back in 1993. It's one of his older ones. Um, It's called Empire Builders, read by Stefan Rudnicki. I've uh, heard the abridged version. Yeah. Uh, Dan Randolph never plays by the rules. A hell-raising maverick with no patience for fools, he is admired by his friends, feared by his enemies, and desired by the world's loveliest women. Acting as a 21st century privateer, Randolph broke the political stranglehold on space exploration and became one of the world's richest men in the bargain. Now an ecological crisis threatens Earth, and the same politicians that Randolph outwitted the first time want to impose world dictatorship to deal with it. Dan Randolph knows that the answer lies more in human freedom, lies in more human freedom, not less, and in the boundless resources of space. But can he stay free long enough to give the world that chance? Um, one of the things I admire about Ben Bova's books is he kind of portrays uh, 
a world where, you know, the economics of space travel has kind of been worked out. It's almost like a roadmap to the future. Mm -hmm. And um, I haven't read this book, but I'm looking forward to it um, for that reason. How long is is that version? It is 10 CDs. I'm looking for a time, 12 hours. Okay, so the version I have is from, let's see, 1990, maybe? Mm -hmm. Maybe a little before that. Um, Two cassettes, three hours. Hmm. And yep. I'll tell you, I don't remember any of the stuff that you just said in the the oh, really? thing because the abridgment is so bad. Uh huh. Um, it's by Nova Books, which I think is actually an imprint of Brilliance. Yeah. Uh, from years and years ago, is this from Brilliance as well? Did no, this think? is a uh, Blackstone Audio. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so this is completely new reading of uh, an old classic of SF. Right. Right. Nice. So, yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, the Obama administration, I, did we talk about this? I think we did. That, uh, Cutting of and NASA, you mean? Yeah, yeah, and on the podcast, I had to correct myself in the notes, because, uh, or clarify what I said. I, what I said wasn't wrong, but it wasn't complete. But, um, the, you know, people are, I you know, some people are a little up in arms about the decisions that have been made in the future budget to cut the next uh, moonshot that they were planning mm-hmm. NASA, but in favor of uh, development of commercial space, um, which means, you know, hey, we'll have a company that's going to do these rockets. And uh, um, uh, Well, what is the government involvement in that, though? Don't know yet. Don't well, know. He's, he's getting ready now that the, the healthcare thing is... Um, <laughs> in fact, he, he's got a... Uh, one of those town hall meetings to explain exactly what the logic is down in Florida. And I okay. think that, that's coming up, so I'm going to be sure and watch that. But it's interesting, you know, uh, this book written in 93, and I know it's a it's a difficult thing to make that transition, um, you know, but we'll see exactly what the transition is. Uh, I don't know if or I told you. Oh, yeah, I, I sent you the link not that long ago um, to, I watched the entire uh CBS coverage of of the Apollo landings. Oh yeah, yeah. Apollo eleven. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't the entire coverage. It was a somebody put it up on YouTube in six parts. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's like an hour long or so. Yeah. Uh, and they they had um, you know before the launch, during you know you know on on the moon all the uh, a lot of the stuff they had on the moon and then the return and. Uh, it's still it's still the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe mm-hmm. since the universe started. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm uh, I've heard I've heard that Robert Heinlein was at uh, the he was a commentator for the Apollo Eleven landings, and there's even a little clip of him uh, saying, you know, this is the greatest thing. This is future historians will mark the new calendars as starting here, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't found video of him or anything longer than a you know a three second clip yeah. of him speaking, and I'm wondering why that is. Why, uh-huh. why is this not available somewhere? Yeah, because you'd think. I mean, Heinlein is a man of great stature in SF, and yet we have almost nothing of him on video or or audio. There's yeah. something wrong with that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm working on a post to um to address this problem and uh, point out the. The, the few, there, there are literally less than three or four minutes of Heinlein speaking. 
Wow. Anywhere as far uh, that I can find on the internet. Interesting. That's yeah. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, I wonder why that is. I don't know, but it probably has something to do with the the budget cuts at NASA. That's what I'm <laughs> thinking. It, it's a conspiracy. You suppress Heinlein. Uh-huh. You suppress Heinlein. You suppress the the space program. Think about it. Think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, I've got two from Brilliance um, by Elizabeth Moon. Oh, Um, good, good, good. Yep. The first one is called Sheep Farmer's Daughter, The Deed of Paxenarian. Paxenarian, book one. Um, Okay, it's read by Jennifer Jennifer Van Dyke. It's classic... uh, Fantasy adventure, uh, starting with you know I think she's a sheep farmer's daughter, uh-huh. <laughs> and she uh, she I, I think I, it's been a long time since I read the paper book, but I think her family's murdered or something like that, and then she she puts on some armor and goes and kicks ass. All right, cool. Um, and she, you know learns her skills along the way. Good deal. Yeah, it says Pax Scenarion, Pax for short, is somebody special. She knows it, even if nobody else does yet. No way will she follow her father's order to marry the pig farmer down the road. (laughs) She's off to join the army, even if it means she can never see her family again. And so her adventure begins. Maybe she's the one who kills her family. I can't remember exactly. (laughs) The adventure that transforms her into a hero, remembered in songs, chosen by the gods to restore a lost ruler to his throne. Here is her tale as she lived it. Yeah, it's very Dungeons and Dragons uh, adventure style. Cool. Uh, But I I quite enjoyed it. The writing's quite good. I'm looking Good. forward to that. Okay, and then this next one is Oath of Fealty. Yep, that's a sequel. Is that number or two? follow-up. Okay, it There's doesn't two, say three number two anywhere series. on here that I can see. It's also read by uh, Jennifer Van Dyke, and this one is very big. It's 17 hours long. Oh. 18 hours, actually. 17 hours, 51 minutes. I never finished that one. <laughs> <laughs> I did the first one, and then I sort of dropped off somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle of the second one, I think. All right. But that was like... Maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago? When, oh, wait a minute. The... No, this looks like, uh, this might be new. Oh, it's a new yeah, uh, think... new book? Yeah. Um, okay, let me read you this. It says here, in the original trilogy starring Paxenarian, mm-hmm. Dorfin's daughter, <laughs> headstrong daughter of a farmer on the north edge of the kingdom, Pax follows her dream of becoming a hero out of legend by running away to join the army. Military life and warfare aren't anything like she imagined, yet she holds both... She holds to both her duty and her dreams. Sheep Farmer's Daughter, Divided Allegiance, and Oath of Gold tell of her rise to become the paladin who saves the kingdom. So that's the trilogy. Sheep Farmer's Daughter, Divided Allegiance, and then Oath of Gold. In this new trilogy, Pack's former comrades in Duke Phelan's company assume new roles and the story turns to follow their adventures. I see. March 2010, it says it's coming out. Oh, so okay. that's, that's it. It is new. Okay. Yep, big old book. There's also uh, Legend of Gird, G-I-R-D, um, from the mid-90s, it looks like. Cool. Um, the one, the version I got, uh, it says it came out in 92, mm-hmm. or uh, something like that. It, it's a um, big, thick volume uh, of three novels together. Okay. And it's, it's got uh, her on horseback with a couple of very long-tailed white wolves. Ah, jumping at her. Cool. Is that what? What's the cover on this one look like? Um, of the Oath of Fealty. Yeah. 
Uh, or of uh, either one. Yeah. Well, the sheep farmer's daughter has this really cool painting. It, it looks kind of like a Renaissance painting. It's got her wearing gold armor, um, a sword with blood on it, kind of uh, beating the heck out of some dudes. Good. It, it looks like a Renaissance painting. It's gorgeous. It's really neat. Excellent. And then um, the Oath of Fealty just has, it kind of looks like the cover of a romance novel. I mean, Oh, really? Yeah. It's just got her, well, not not a bodice ripper, but, I mean, that's just the feel you get from it. <clears throat> it's got her on the front just holding a sword. It's kind of a close-up. And then there's a, a man behind her, a man's face behind her, kind of looking off into the distance. Ready to rip off a bodice? Is, no, is that... no. I mean, she's not looking all sexy or anything, but um, but it just looks like that. It looks like a, a romance book to me. Okay. The cover does. I wonder. I wonder if they'll do a. Uh, you know, a lot of Elizabeth Moon stuff's been um, has been uh, re- recorded by uh, not Fullcast Audio. Who's the other group? You know who I mean? Elizabeth Moons. Yeah, I thought maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it's the Serrano trilogy. Um, Hunting Party, Sporting Chance, Winning Colors. This is by um, uh, Graphic Audio. Graphic Audio. Yeah. Why did I forget that? So they've been doing uh, her 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 science fiction stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I wonder if they'll do an audio drama version of the fantasy as well. I don't know. That so, would be cool. I, I kind of like it. You know, it's, doing it's Brandon really Sanderson. Yeah. And I, I listened to some samples of that. I haven't listened to the whole thing, but uh, sure did come out good. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 really interesting because it sort of does a lot of the stuff that I don't like, but I'm starting to get into it. Uh-huh. Um, and it's I, I can I can it, they've, it's very episodic. They've got like uh, each book is broken down into you know three or four parts, uh-huh. and you buy them individually. And I guess the idea is you know you're a trucker, you're on the road, you say hey I'm going to get this one, and then because it's a series, you can just keep consuming it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's very strange. It's because it's it's audio drama. But it's it's done more of a audiobook style, so they don't they don't change the text very much. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, they add sound effects, so it's not full cast. You know, full cast audio is every line of the book is performed, but there's no sound effects. Right. Whereas this is almost every line of the book is performed, and there's sound effects. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's not as good, but they they're changing my mind they're changing uh-huh. my mind at least in the stuff i've heard so far well good yeah i've been it might be that the writing is better in in this uh, elizabeth uh moon stuff than than in the uh some of the other stuff i had heard uh-huh you know that might make <laughs> that probably makes all the difference is yeah. how good the writing is for sure you bet all right i got a couple from galaxy press okay uh, that's l ron hubbard territory Mm-hmm. Um, they've been publishing a whole bunch of these. Um, the one I have is called A Matter of Matter. <laughs> um, let's see. Meet Chuck Lambert, who, though not exactly a fool, is guilty of letting his imagination get the best of his wits. That's because our young, naive Lambert wants his own planet. But rather than purchase one legally from the Interior Department of the Outer Galactic Control, he soon succumbs to the flashy advertising of an unsavory galactic swindler named Madman Murphy. The purported king of planetary realtors. <laughs> um, also it's like the includes, domain name sort of thing. Yeah. 
It also <laughs> includes uh, the Conroy Diary, the Planet Makers, and the Obsolete Weapon, all on a two-hour, two-CD uh, pack. Now, what they're doing is it also it's similar. They uh, Galaxy Press or mm-hmm. uh, it's called Golden Age of Science Fiction or something like yeah, that. Golden Age Stories. Golden Age Stories. Yep. Um, what they're doing is they have usually a narrator, um, and then they layer in a bit of sound effects uh, and music. Mm-hmm. And I find that not as good as just regular reading uh-huh. uh, because. It's you know it's the main the main problem is you know there was a a rending of metal you know mm-hmm. and then you hear a rending of metal you don't need those you don't need both right and really the writing should stand up on its own sure okay and then this one uh, is called the crossroads mm-hmm. um, also by L Ron Hubbard uh, frustrated with a government that pays him to bury surplus produce in order to fix the economy while city folks starve. Farmer Eben Smith decides to take matters into his own hands. He piles up his wagon with ripe fruits and vegetables and sets out for the first time to barter his goods in the big city. Being Eben's first city trip and all, the way soon becomes uncertain. But when Eben comes across a strange crossroads, he discovers that he's fallen into a nexus in time. Soon, he's bartering a lot more than goods with different cultures and alternate realities, alternative realities. Occasionally wreaking havoc and chaos in each. You know, there's a very similar um, science fiction story by uh, Philip K. Dick. Let's see if I can find the captive market. There it is. I've uh, done a review of it. I think, if not, um, let's see. Um, I did. Uh, did listen to it. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, uh, in Captive Market, a w- an old woman gifted with precognition has previewed the futures to find one in which the survivors of radioactive Earth need supplies. And so what you do is uh, you get in a time machine and you go and sell the people there, you know, things that are almost valueless where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to give up everything that they've got, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's, it's like... Uh, what happens in a natural disaster, right? The, the price of water goes up, the price of canned food goes up. It's, it's market gouging. Um, this one, the version from um, L. Ron Hubbard, sounds like he, he's not a uh, he's not a, an evil guy out to out to steal uh, steal from poor people. Hmm, right. But it's an interesting concept. I mean, it's a. Uh, time travel is usually done, uh, you know, they're researching or they're on an expedition to, uh, you know, hunt hunt a woolly mammoth or something like that. Um, in this case, it's, it's, it's more mundane in the sense it's, it's for the market, right? Right, right. It's for selling. But it makes sense, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, of course, this also runs into the, the classic science fiction uh, uh, time travel dilemma, which is... Um, uh, what if you if you're bringing goods from one place to another, not information, mm-hmm. and even information, but goods especially. Um, when was how old is something <laughs> when it's there, and where did what was the origin, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you go into the future and you find something, you take it back in the past and uh, use it there, and then you send it into the future again, um, and it has a complete circle. Where was it created? Right, right. 
Um, it's a, a small problem. That might be interesting. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's those. I got two more from Brilliance. Um, one of them is uh, Saucer, The Conquest by Stephen Kuntz, read by Dick Hill. That's been released before, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, it has. It's a re-release, I guess. Um, in Saucer, this is actually a book that I've been meaning to read. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know uh, whether to have high expectations or not, but it sounds just fun to me. Um, in Saucer, after discovering the secrets of a 140,000-year-old spacecraft and delivering it safely to the Air and Space Museum of the Smithsonian, right alongside Lindbergh's Spirit of St. Louis, Rip Cantrell and the beautiful test pilot Charlie Pine think their days of high-flying extraterrestrial adventure are over. So that's in the first book. Um, and this is the sequel. However, that will change in the sequel, Saucer the Conquest, because someone is using top-secret information about saucer technology, information that comes from the mysterious region in Nevada known as Area 51. Meanwhile, Charlie takes up flying space planes to the moon for the French Lunar Base Project. Then she discovers a world-threatening anti-gravity beam. There she discovers a world-threatening anti-gravity beam. The French kidnap Rip's uncle, Egg, and force him to fly a saucer hidden in Area 51 to the moon. Wow, this is getting complicated. The Rip and Charlie must steal the first saucer from its new home at the museum and hit the not-so-friendly skies again in order to save Uncle Egg and the world. Mm. Wow. You know, uh, Greg Marguerite had a, a really good line um, <coughs> in a comment on, on the website. Mm-hmm. He said, um, I, I had mentioned how I wanted to go to the, the Air and Space Museum in, in uh, Washington State, and I won't. I won't be going there anytime soon because I'm worried about getting beat, have the crap beaten out of me at the border and then being charged with a crime. Right. right. Um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> I love Peter Watts. But um, he he said, uh, "Don't worry, Jesse. Um, it's not as advertised. The Air and Space Museum has neither air nor space. It's full of stuff." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Very it's cool. Jam packed full of old airplanes and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. All right. And now, this last one that I have today is um, by Jack Vance. Oh. Um, yep. It's called The Eyes of the Overworld Tales of Dying Earth 2. Oh. Um, cool. Now, I got Tales of Dying Earth 1, which is just called Tales of Dying Earth, um, or the, the Dying Earth, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, got it from Audible. And um, eager to finish that, I I reviewed just the first story in it for our right. uh, seventh anniversary Palooza. Yeah. Um, how is that going coming? We've got three or four we days got left. Three left. Yep. Three, three left. left. You gonna yep. make it? I'm gonna make it. You betcha. Wow. <laughs> Today I need to finish uh, Breaking Point. Um, uh, oh, uh, you're reviewing Gunn. Julie's Julie's uh, reading of our. Cool. Exactly. You bet. Nice. Yep. About halfway through that, so I'll finish that after we're done here. And uh, well, don't okay. savage her too too much because well, I, I want her to read more and more I and am, more. Okay. I am cruel. That's true. <laughs> You're a cruel overlord. That's right. A cruel overlord. I'm enjoying it so far, so uh, chances are good that it'll be uh, just fine. So yeah, cool. I'm enjoying it. So anyway, um, Tales of Dying Earth. One, this the one that we got in hard copy here is called The Eyes of the Overworld, Tales of the Dying Earth 2. Um, it's performed by Arthur Mori, and he did the other one as well. 
Um, the Eyes of the Overworld is one is the first of Vance's picaresque novels about the scoundrel Kujal. Here he is sent by a magician that is wronged. That I'm oh, sorry. Here he is sent by a magician he has wronged to a distant, unknown country to retrieve magical lenses that reveal the overworld. Conniving to steal the lenses, he escapes and, goaded by a homesick monster magically attached to his liver, starts to find his way home to Almery. The journey takes him across trackless mountains, wastelands, and seas. Though cunning, through cunning and dumb luck, the relentless Kujal survives one catastrophe after another, fighting off bandits, ghosts, and ghouls, stealing, lying, and cheating without insight or remorse, leaving only wreckage behind. So. I want to get I want to get something magically attached to my liver. <laughs> you bet. Now the first one, Tales of uh, Dying Earth, is a collection. Um, so I, I don't know if from there there's no these aren't uh, collections anymore. But the first one is a collection of stories. Is, is it a collection or a fix up? Uh, fix up collection. <laughs> I don't know. I think that the first one is not a fix up. It's just a collection. Yeah. Um, this one may be a fix-up from a collection, huh? Mm-hmm. But anyway, I've been so impressed by Jack Vance, I can't tell you. Um, yeah, he's, you know, he's an I amazing stylist, I think, and he's also got ideas, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. When I was doing those Hugo winners, I read two by Vance. One of them was called The Last Castle. Mm-hmm. It was tremendous. I mean, just terrific. Um, so, I'm yeah. still a big, 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 big fan of uh, The Moon Moth, which... Is not available as an audiobook at the moment, um, mm-hmm. and that should be rectified. Is that Jack Vance? It's Jack Vance. Well, I better read that it's because uh, yet, but I'm thinking definitely he's just, it. yeah, I'm loving it. He he he's got a, like a depth, um, and it just it just comes off as you know, as of a skilled skilled writer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a feeling. You know, when you read it, it's like almost a, a whole mythology. Indeed, you can sense his present the entire time. You know, indeed, he is. He, he um, he's working more in the Tolkien mold than the than the Tolkien ripoff mode, if you know what I mean. Right, right, yeah. Um, uh, did you hear the Geek's Guide to the Galaxy? They had uh, the 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 Tolkien professor on. No, I haven't listened yet, but it's on my that's, iPod. That's well worthy of a listening. Yeah, I plan to. Um, and it's 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 got a lot about how, you know, Tolkien is is the man he is. You know, they're talking about him being the writer of the 20th century mm-hmm. uh, because uh, because of the depth of the material. You know, he didn't go in there uh, with sort of you know half baked idea. It, it's no, he's created a world, and then he found a way to tell a story or two in it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, you get that feeling when you read a Jack Vance story. Yeah. I, This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.